to the Total Super League show. Sorry, I mean the Total Soccer show. My name is Ryan Bailey and joining me today to talk through a weekend of action and a fairly sizable story that's evolving off the field as we speak is a man who has never faced the risk of expulsion from FIFA or UEFA competitions, to my knowledge, Taylor Rockwell. <laughs> to my knowledge either, I have not, but we'll see how it goes. We'll see how this episode plays out and we'll see what the ramifications might be. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're, not, you're, you're not in the autumn years of your career or anything, Taylor. You've got time to get expelled from any number of uh, governing bodies, I'd say. I mean, let's hope. Let's hope. Joining Taylor and I is a man who wasn't expecting Jose Mourinho being fired to be the second biggest story we talk about today, Graham Ruthven. Hello, Ryan. I know. What, what's going on? Jose Mourinho getting fired, Hansi Flick saying he wants to leave Bayern Munich, and it's all secondary to this giant, just this giant story that I'm struggling to comprehend a little bit, and I'll... Do my best so my thoughts are not just noises today. Look, let, let's transport ourselves back to Saturday, gents. We were looking forward to a Monday review show where we talked about the FA Cup, the start of MLS, maybe a few fun japes that happened here and there on the field. And here we are. The European Super League has exploded on Sunday afternoon. Uh, it appeared that 10 of Europe's biggest clubs, plus Arsenal and Tottenham, were backing a breakaway. Uh, three teams from Italy, three from Spain, and six, the purported big six, from England. That news became confirmed later in the evening while most of Europe was asleep. Cynical. A joint statement was issued by all 12 of those teams and it confirmed the format. And you can see a confirmation of the format of this new proposed European Super League at thesuperleague.com. Uh, <laughs> essentially, it is 20 teams, 15 of whom will be permanent. There are three floating spots when it seems like they're trying to get PSG and a couple of German sides to join, but um, that hasn't been confirmed as we speak. Uh, remaining five spots there uh, would be for teams somehow earning qualification to this competition, which is purported to start next August. Uh, the reason the motivator here being the motivator for most of these big clubs these days, money, it appears. The plan envisages one-off payments of up to 350 million euros to the 15 founder members. It's JP Morgan Chase who are supplying the debt financing here to get it all started. And JP Morgan have confirmed to Reuters that they are uh, financing this breakaway. JP Morgan Chase, by the way, former employee, uh, Manchester United's Ed Woodward. Funny, that, isn't it? Uh, this morning, the Athletic confirmed that 12 Super League clubs quit the ECA, the European Clubs Association, and their UEFA committee positions. Uh, fun fact, Juventus' shares went up almost 7% this morning. Ride it to the moon if you want, share lovers. Um, UEFA president um, Mr. Seferin reportedly has confirmed, or well, it appears he has confirmed, that all players in the European Super League will be banned from playing in the World Cup and the Euros. Uh, this move has also been condemned by the Premier League, strongly condemned by the Premier League, who've made similar threats of bans, but nothing uh, sticking there quite yet. Gents, I have just laid an awful lot of information there. Did I go a bit too fast? Do we have any questions? Because this is seismic seismic stuff taylor um i mean well i will ask a question yeah because so, so much of this is i can't tell how much of it is the super league spin and what they're saying they're going to do versus what reality is um and then i think the response is the same so for seferin for example i've seen that same thing about banned from the euros banned from the world cup uh there were expectations that fifa would say the same thing i saw fifa's statement they did not say that they didn't say they were happy but they didn't they sounded more like we're, we're kind of disappointed we'll, we'll see what happens so do, do we understand what the mechanism would be for prohibiting those players from playing in the Euros and the World Cup? And would it be this summer's Euros or would we have to wait a little bit of time? 
I don't think we know that. I would presume it wouldn't be this summer's Euros because the teams would not have broken away by that point. There are a lot of sketchy details, Taylor, I think, at the point here. Mm. We don't know how these five teams will qualify to the competition, for example. We don't know how this is going to affect uh, domestic competitions entirely. We don't even know how it's going to affect the Champions League, which, led, lest we forget, uh, UEFA had a meeting just <laughs> this very day to ratify new changes to the Champions League. Maybe, Graham, you could talk about that a little bit because the timing here, where I thought it was initially quite odd, it seems quite clear they've tried to do this to usurp this UEFA vote on the new Champions League structure. Yeah, I guess the first thing to say here is that this has been coming for some time. This, these negotiations with the, the ECA, which you mentioned there, which for anyone who maybe doesn't know much about the ECA, they, they don't really get spoken about much, particularly in the mainstream, but they're a, a body that sits between UEFA and the the clubs, I think there's 200 member clubs, and those clubs are the, are the biggest in in Europe, and they're supposed to represent the the interests of these clubs, and then somehow communicate them to UEFA. So there's been a bit of a, a wrestling match go, been going on between the ECA and UEFA over the Champions League. The ECA clubs, particularly the the ones at the the top of the ECA, led by Andrea Agnelli, who's the the, the, the chairman of uh, Juventus. He was the chair of the ECA. He's now resigned. Um, they basically want more control over over the, over the Champions League, particularly over the broadcasting rights. They're looking at what clubs get for the for participating in leagues like the Premier League, which the, the revenues of the Premier League dwarf the, that of the Champions League. And of course, the Champions League is the most prestigious club football competition in in the world. So they're they're seeing a disparity there and wanted to change that. So the Champions League and UEFA have already made a number of compromises on this and today, this morning, it was actually voted through, it was ratified, a big change to the Champions League, which on an ordinary day would be the biggest story in town, but it's been usurped a little bit, so the Champions League has now been expanded to 36 teams there's uh, guaranteed places for big clubs that fail to to qualify through their leagues based on historic achievements, which is a controversial one I think it's fair to say, and maybe the biggest changes to to the group stages where there's going to be one big league uh, instead of lots of groups um, and each team will be guaranteed 10 games. There's a little bit of confusion over how those 10 games will be scheduled because not everyone will be playing everyone else in that big group stage uh, league, but yes, those are the changes that have been voted through and now we've got a situation where our club's going to go for that. Are they going to be appeased by that? Or are they going to go for this, uh, this Super League proposal, which takes things even further? It does indeed. And as you say there, Graham, this has been coming a long time. It's been spoken about for well over a decade, the, the, the concept of a breakaway European Super League. It's been something feared. And when I first heard this news break yesterday, gents, my immediate thought was this is big clubs trying to get some leverage. This is big teams just trying to get what they want. They've done this before. Uh, you know, this is this is them wanting more money from broadcasting primarily, a bigger slice of a very big pie already, and also more control over their destiny in that competition. How do they get that? They threaten to leave the biggest competition, the Champions League. But this, this just feels a little bit different. It feels like there's a lot of Machiavellian plotting going on here. It's been going on for a long time, evidently in being kept under a big, uh, you know, a shroud of darkness. This could, Taylor, still be gamesmanship here. You know, the, the website they put up, the superleague.com, 
it's quite thin. It's just a page. I mean, we could have banged that up in a day quite easily. But with a Not- title like that, I mean, do you even need a website? It's just so <laughs> descriptive and perfect. They put a lot of thought into it, I'm sure. Well, it doesn't look like a website that has a lot of thought on it, to be honest. It's very, yeah, just a couple of sentences on it. The whole thing looks yeah. thin on detail. But Oh, it's I almost suppose- like they registered that domain this past weekend, you mean? Almost like that. <laughs> but, but I suppose the point is, unlike previous instances where this has crept up, the yeah. bets have very much been hedged here. The cat is out of the bag. The toothpaste is out of the tube. And... It feels like it's going to be very hard to backtrack from here. If if the intention was gamesmanship and leverage to gain more control over the Champions League, damage has been done. An awful lot of windows yeah. have been broken, haven't they, Taylor? Absolutely. And I'm, and I'm with you because anytime there are these big sort of changes, these big swings, it always feels like, oh, somebody's posturing, somebody wants a little bit more out of a deal. But then reading about the changes to the Champions League that uh, have to have been voted in, it feels like these big clubs were getting what they wanted. It really does almost feel like UEFA called their bluff a little bit because maybe there's like this is me speculating, but it does feel like they kind of set some demands up that they didn't think would be met. And that justifies, quote unquote, then, well, we've got to take action. We've got to make this thing our own. We're the only ones who have a vision for the future. And then UEFA agrees, and now there's this impasse. And I think seeing so many of the reports I saw said, like, it's, they, they haven't been able to get people on the phone. There, hasn't, there haven't been sustained conversations with any of the clubs involved. Nobody's returning phone calls. It seems almost like, uh-oh, we got to do something. Let's make this decision, and then everybody be quiet and hope that nothing happens. Like, I don't know how that is a bluff anymore because – you sort of gotten what you already wanted, and so you're still persisting with this thing in a less organized way than you would be if it were sort of a planned out maneuver. So to mm. me, it, it does feel like they sort of had their bluff called but are going to kind of push forward and make this happen because fundamentally they want to be the NFL of Europe, but not NFL Europe. <laughs> oh, NFL Europe, those are those. I remember going to Charlton to, uh, to, 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 Charlton to watch uh, The Fridge and players like that back in the early 90s. What a, what a time that was. Um, Graham, I think... The issue here, I mean, we could argue that the only constant is change, right? And if you look at the the early 90s, the Premier League wasn't there. The Champions League in its current iteration wasn't there. Those were, you know, the Premier League itself was a breakaway league, lest we forget. So um, it's it's when you see uh, Gary Neville on Sky Sports, uh, one of the big driving forces behind the creation of the Premier League, uh, you know, ranting against the European Super League. There is an element of hypocrisy to that. But the main issue here, of course is the sporting integrity of the competition. A competition where 15 teams are guaranteed to be in it, uh, rain or shine. And, you know, no no disrespect to Tottenham or Arsenal fans out there, for example, but whether they would warrant to be in the top 15 at this present moment is is, is questionable. I think my issue, Graham, is that the, the reward structure for the domestic leagues would be gone if indeed those teams remain in the domestic leagues. Why would Tottenham want to do well in the Premier League? They don't have as much money in that Premier League. There's... Very little chance of them winning it, um, it, it, you know, in the current structure. So it feels like the the whole integrity, not only of this uh, new competition, but of the current competitions would be pretty badly affected. Yeah, absolutely. And it's important to note that we're not just talking about the future of the the elite level of European soccer, the Champions League and the way that it works, there are payments made to uh, associations that are then that then drip down the leagues. And so there, there are leagues, speaking as a Scottish football fan, there are there are smaller clubs in uh, the Scottish Premiership that receive payments when Celtic or Rangers, as it tends to be, qualify for the Champions League or the Europa League. And so that this jeopardizes that whole ecostructure. And that's why it affects more. That's why it's not just about 
Manchester United, Arsenal, you know, City, Real Madrid, all these mega clubs. It's about everyone. This this affects everyone in soccer and why it's such a big story. I have I have so many conflicting thoughts about this that it's actually difficult to, to form them into um like actual coherent opinions. I think Rory Smith tweeted that he struggled to to write his piece for the New York Times because it's such a broad, wide scope story that it's difficult to zero in on what it affects because it affects affects everything. And I feel similarly to that. I, I get what you're the, the thing about the Premier League. Yes, um, that was one of my initial emotional reactions. Was kind of spare me the fo- the full moralising about the Premier League as a, as supposed gatekeepers of English soccer in particular, mm. because they started the ball rolling on this sort of thinking when they broke away from the rest of the English league structure to create an organisation designed to make the rich even richer in the early nineties. That sounds a little bit familiar, doesn't it? And as a, and actually, I, I link my experience as a, a Scottish football fan to 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 bring UEFA into this as well. I link my experience as a Scottish football fan to this as well because the, in the Champions League in the last few years, they've already locked out teams like and countries like Scotland and the Netherlands. The, the season after Ajax qual- uh, made the semi-finals of the Champions League and became within a minute of making the final. They had to face two rounds of qualifiers as the Dutch champions to qualify for the group stages of the Champions League. Rangers this summer, who are the Scottish champions, will face four rounds of qualifiers to get to the group stages of the Champions League. So yes, the window has been left open slightly ajar in recent years with the changes that have already been pushed through. But that window is four stories up and it's very difficult to get to. So my feeling is almost a little bit of... This has already been happening. This process has already been happening. What did you expect when you brought the billionaires in? And did you think they were going to act as as gatekeepers for these clubs? Did you think that they were going to have the interests of the fans at heart? Or did you think that they were going to try and make as much money out of these clubs as possible? And so mm. I'm a little bit surprised at the general surprise and the outrage. I'm To clarify, I think this is a bad idea and I'm not in favour of it at all. But this has been ha- this has been a process that's gone on for years, decades, even going back to the early nineties, and this is just the next step in that. Yeah, I, w- I would completely agree with everything Graham said there because what like the Premier League is an example of that. I would say television rights imbalances, where you have larger clubs getting way more money, that's always going to keep them sustained. I mean, even it being called the Champions League, and you have the fourth place team in lots of different countries participating in the competition at an automatic level, like there have always been these sort of exceptions and these little outliers that made things seem a bit more curious. I think what it always goes back to for me is that at the very least, say what you you want about UEFA, say what you will about FIFA. I have a lot to say about FIFA and a little bit to say about UEFA, uh, but at the very least, they are theoretically objective governing bodies over, like overseeing everything. And, and there will be solidarity payments from the Super League. There will be money for lower level and lower league soccer, so they say. But that's, that's completely at their discretion. It's what they want to do. It's how much they want to give. And maybe they want to give some now, but less later. And that's up to them since they're the only ones with a vote. And that's mm-hmm. the, the big difference is even with the Premier League and the breakaway status, it still fundamentally was about like we would like more money, but we still want to give some money back, just not as much money back. And we're still going to sort of eventually work with the EFL and the FA. Here, it doesn't seem like that is any way the intention. It seems like we want to do what we want. We want to have our own sort of cartel, and then we can do as we want. We can appoint our own commissioner who will then do the things that we tell him to do, and if he breaks, we'll find another one, uh, a la the Goodell bot in the NFL. 
<laughs> it, it's the it, yeah. There's it, something unethical about governing yourselves as well. Not having an independent body <laughs> yeah. do that. It, it's yeah. certainly very questionable. It's and always think, worked out for every dictatorship ever. <laughs> yeah, who will go, who will look over the guardians, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But um, it, it, it's just. I think one of the most unedifying things about this whole thing, gents, is that most fans, a majority of right-thinking fans, seem to be against it. And we have clubs who, time and time again, tell us. Football is nothing without fans. That's uh, They pointed this out on BBC Match of the Day on Sunday evening. Uh, that's a banner yeah. that sits on the Stratford end behind the goal right now. So Matt Busby, quote, football is nothing without fans. There's, I think that's kind of been exposed that the fans don't really matter. This is, uh, you know, large, big investment groups coming in and doing things fairly ruthlessly in a business-like manner without concern for the fans or, you know, the, the integrity of the competition. This, There's this... You know, the pretense that soccer teams care about community and they care about the fans, this has really peeled away that veneer for me, Graham, and I think it's really unedifying. Yeah, and the timing of it with just, uh, well, hopefully we're coming out of a pan- pandemic, but a year ago we had so many clubs, Premier League clubs, pretending that they were, you know, uh, fulfilling their roles as bastions of the community and, and, and looking after the general public. And, well, I mean, that's completely gone now. Uh, Liverpool had ran the slogan "This means more" last season. Mm. Uh, what this means more money, I think, is probably the, you know what that was about, um, and that's been proven since then. And and I think the fact that Joe Joe Glazer, who is a man who has never given an interview or met Manchester United fans in sixteen years of of being in the ownership party, I know obviously it was his father who was the figurehead before him, but being in the ownership group. At Manchester United, he's 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 been silent in that time, and now he is one of the leading voices in this Super League proposal. He's been quoted on bizarrely. He's been quoted on Liverpool's website uh, hmm. as the, as one of the voices, which was really strange to not have any input from Fenway Sports Group, but to have a quote from Joe Glazer on LiverpoolFC.com was 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 bizarre. But that's, despite that, jumping in really quick, Graham, just to say, despite the fact that, as I understand it, John Henry will be like on the board of the new league. I guess everybody will be, but he'll have like a vice presidential position. So that feels uh, even more strange. Yeah, it does. I I actually wonder. And this is this is um, reporting from Dan Rowan at the the BBC earlier today. So I'm I'm quoting directly from his tweet. But it's it, it that to me uh, said revealed that maybe there's different feeling within the actual group of the twelve clubs. So Dan Rowan reports that he's told by well placed sources that Manchester United and Real Madrid are quote ringleaders in this. The three US owned Premier League clubs really mean this quote sold on the NFL model of closed leagues with star clubs players driving value. Others see it as leverage over UEFA. Unhappy new Champions League format means money shared shared among more clubs. Mm. So the fact that some were being quoted by other club, by rival clubs, maybe was a sign of that for me. Are Liverpool on board as much as Manchester United and the Glazers are? Is that why we're maybe not hearing from some owners and why some clubs are not answering the phone? I, I think, Graham, maybe on that note, because it, the same press release was put out by all 12 clubs, and it's the one that's on the SuperLeague.com, and it has quotes from Agnelli, from Joel Glazer, and Florentino Perez, president at Real Madrid. So I, I wonder whether they just didn't have, were having 12 quotes from 12 different 
uh, you know, or, yeah. or even 15 or it was, may, may have been made it a bit of a lengthy um, press release. But the, the Joel Glazer quote, Graham, by bringing together the world's greatest clubs and players to each other throughout the season, the Super League will open a new chapter for European football, ensuring world-class competition and facilities and increased financial support for the wider football pyramid. That sounds like the Champions League we already have to me. Yeah, and also give me a break. Give me a break. This is this was the issue with Project Big Picture. Remember that yeah, a few months yeah. ago, where the big six in in the Premier League pretended that they were doing something for the uh, the greater good of the game, all the while mm. taking more power for themselves. I mean, really, do they expect us to believe that? Whereas, if if that was the case, they would have revealed some sort of details of how payments were going to be made back to the league, so that 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 eco structure that I referenced remains in place, at least in part. There's no detail on that. They're taking the whole thing for themselves and then trying to sell us on something entirely different. I think what's um, also important. Sorry to interrupt there, Taylor. What's important to point out here is, um, as we mentioned there, the game has been dining with the devil for some time. With uh, You know, clubs with uh, questionable ownership groups or with investment firms, uh, you know, that kind of thing has been going a long time. A lot of money has been pumped into the very top echelons of this sport. We know that. But it's it feels like that what hasn't necessarily been said is that a lot of these teams are doing this out of necessity now. They have to feed the machine now. Uh, Jonathan Lewin, the Guardian, made a good point. He said Barcelona are one billion pounds in debt right now. They're facing a huge financial crisis. Real Madrid were unable to afford a single big signing last summer. Juventus have to find around 100 million by the end of June. Into that scenario, let's not forget, they saw emergency funding a few months yeah. ago. So they are having to feed the machine. This is this is in some weird twisted way, this is their means to survival for some of these big teams. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Um, yeah, it absolutely is that the, the clubs have almost got so big that they're now, uh, they're now eating themselves, aren't they? <laughs> um, I, I think what one, one, I think I've made clear what my, my feelings are on this proposal and I'm not in favor at all where I do think these clubs have a little bit of a point is that, the, the Premier League and UEFA have had ample opportunity to address some of the big problems that football is facing. And one of the big problems that football is facing is a generational problem. Um, I don't know if the European Super League is a response to that, but I, I can understand why there is an urgency at the top level of the game for change, like real change. Um, I, I've seen a lot of stats on how younger people are... are uh, consuming live sport in particular less, so only 53% of Gen Z identify sports fans compared to 63 of all adults and 69% of millennials. Gen Zers are, are half as likely as millennials to watch live sports regularly and twice as likely to never watch. The European Super League does seem to be linked to a notion that younger fans are consuming sports differently. They're less concerned with the fandom of clubs, but what the, 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 they're more interested in, in being fans of players as individuals and I think the ESL is maybe we've seen that in some, in some of the quotes in the, in the statements is maybe founded on that belief and so I, that, that's nothing new that's been something that's been discussed about for a number of years and I, I put that kind of on the Premier League and UEFA to say you guys have seen this coming for a number, a number of years you should have come up with something to avoid this to appease these clubs and and to actually enact change in football because i don't think we should be scared of change no. we should evolve the sport just not in the way that the rich get so much rich i'm also not fundamentally against people making money out of football just not so that the money is in one corner and everyone else is left with nothing and that's what the european super league 
veers towards in my mind i think a european super league could work in some form but not in the way that it's been proposed here graham i saw that the the gen z numbers as well and what that said to me is simply that like yeah you all change the way this sport operates so that you can come in if you have billions of dollars and suddenly your club is very very good and a club that used to be good no longer exists and so if you are kind of creating these imbalances what I feel like the natural like st- next step is is for if you're a younger person who's maybe not as into Manchester City or you don't understand why they're big, but you know they're kind of not very popular. But I like Kevin De Bruyne, so I'm going to root for Kevin De Bruyne. And it, it's a natural thing to then just root for the individuals because at least players are individuals. They're people. They can speak their mind. They can make choices. They can go to a different club if they don't like how things are. And that does feel like a natural extension of how things have been. And then the Super League then feels like the owners of those clubs missing the the point there, missing why that's happening, and instead thinking, well, we just need to have a, a, a format in place that keeps all the biggest players here, and then everybody will want to watch. And again, it sort of misses the idea that I think people don't love being told this is the best thing in the world and you have to watch it. I think anytime you're being told you have to do a thing... And especially if you're being told you have to do a thing because we're really beneficial and wonderful, all Mm. us billionaires. Like, it just rings hollow immediately. And I think that's such a big part of why this just seems like a self-interested mission from the beginning. This is a moving story. This may even have developed after, dear listener, you were listening to this. Uh, We, uh, particularly on the uh, uh, idea of players being banned from competitions like UEFA and FIFA competitions or even teams being banned from their respective leagues. We're not sure how this is going to pan out. It seems like lots of respective bodies are swinging their appendages right now to see um, who has the most power and it's going to be really intriguing to see where the power falls on this. But Taylor, I wanted to get your take as a Manchester United fan. I found it Mm -hmm. interesting when Gary Neville did his uh, a fairly impressive rant on Sky Sports when he was his his sort of opinion was you know Man City we expect this of you but Liverpool Arsenal Manchester United we expected a lot more of you given the heritage and history behind your clubs and what what do you think about that as a Manchester United fan Taylor what do you think about the prospect of watching Manchester United uh, mm-hmm. you know have several trips to Spain or whatever in this in, in this European Super League as a going concern. Uh, I, I will say categorically, I will not be interested in watching them, and that's not a that's not a purity test. That's not me having like like if if Man United had been sold to a Saudi Arabian, if like the Saudi Arabian royal family, I would cease being a Man United fan out of a like moral stand. This is simply to what I was saying earlier that they the Super League I think is is basing all of this on people are going to get over it, people are going to want to watch the biggest players. Nobody really cares about their domestic leagues, so we'll weather the storm, and then it will be fine, because inevitably people want to watch the the big shiny things do the big shiny things really well on a field. And I just, again, anytime I have that feeling of, like, you are expecting me to do a thing, you, the giant clubs, are expecting me to just get over it and move on so you can make money, I have that initial opposition, and I don't see that going away. Because it does just seem... It seems like a natural byproduct of where we've been going to, I think, Graham and Ryan, your initial points. But so for Gary Neville, a man who, as far as I understand, has never criticized the Glazers at any point. Nope. <laughs> he criticizes managers and players, not the ownership group, to then come out and say, like, you have this standard. And Man City, we expect this of you. Like, there's an argument to be made that Manchester City have become like one of the more sustainable, well-run organizations on the planet when it comes to sporting institutions. Like, whereas Manchester United have been the opposite of that yeah. on many occasions. So I think that... That sort of posturing is a little bit silly, and it almost feels to me like sort of a thing that everybody can collectively dunk on. But at the same time, 
not have to take much action with because it ends up just being these rich billionaires who can decide what they want to do. So it's easy for for people to oppose it right now and then two years from now get really hyped about the start of the Super League. Yeah. I think it is an easy position to take, and a natural one to take. Billionaires are bad. This is bad. Yeah. This is change. Mm-hmm. But we we should we should um, uh, 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 maybe endorse this as a sign that things are going to evolve and change has has happened to this game over the few years. Maybe this is a pretty unedifying way for it to happen, but it does seem inevitable that some kind of big change is going to happen in this game. I, I'm just imagining the day. There's a timeline where my kids say, "Daddy, what was the Champions hmm. League?" <laughs> well, girls, yeah. it was. This competition where Leo Messi played uh, Ferenc Varos and padded his stats. Uh, you know, he didn't have to play the big teams like Tottenham uh, several times a week to, uh, to to get his numbers well, up. But even but even there, like I, I take your point, but also like Ferenc Varos at one point, like we're the biggest club on the planet. Like that's the point of the Champions League is you get to have these like these teams that you've never heard of. For any, like, especially at a time when there weren't like broadcast wasn't what it was, you didn't know these Eastern Bloc countries, and suddenly they're playing this amazing yeah. football, and everybody evolves. Like that's the point of the Champions League. That's what makes it so great. This new competition like literally removes that because you're making it the same teams every time who have no motivation to compete. I'm not a fan. I don't know if that was clear, but I am <laughs> not excited about this. That, yeah, you're absolutely right. The, the the best clubs in the world, it's it's fluid that group. So Nottingham Forest and Aston yeah. Villa would have been in this group at some yeah. point in the past. And so you're you're denying that 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 opportunity, and that's that's so key to to soccer. Um, can I can I raise a point about the, the going back to players because I think that's probably going to be the next thing that decide that, that determines this. It's what happens with player power. We we spoke a lot about player power and you know over the last twenty years, I suppose player power, and this is going to be a real test for it. Is this are the players going to get behind this? Are they going to? be happy with missing out on euros and, and world cups there's there's a bit of me that actually thinks that they've gone a little bit too small um i'll explain what i mean by that so it would be more plausible and practical if it was we're leaving our domestic leagues and we'll play every weekend and 20 of us in a 38 game season and we'll also have a cup that's something that you can offer a career around to a player but as it stands it's basically the super league replacing the champions league and so if uefa says no domestic league if, if you're playing in the Super League, then the whole thing looks pretty small and 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 risky to mm. players. Who might also welcome playing less games? You could argue. Yeah, I mean the the Carabao Cup is dead. <laughs> 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 this will be the last Carabao Cup final on Sunday. <laughs> this this feels a little bit to me. And Graham, I, I promise this connects to what you were just saying. It feels a little bit like almost like a failed coup. Like it reminds me of the Turkish coup uh, from a few years ago, where it's like you've got maybe seventy percent of the people on board that you initially expected, but you roll with it anyway, hoping that everybody just kind of jumps in and agrees to be part of it, and then maybe things don't pick up steam. And I think that's what they're expecting with the twelve plus plus three initial plan. It was, what, PSG, Dortmund, and Bayern were the other three that were expected. They have not joined. It doesn't seem like they're going to. And that already feels like a crack in in the armor. And so maybe, Graham, the issue is that they're trying to keep it such that it doesn't immediately fracture and break apart. Because if you have 20 20 teams instead of 15, instead of 12, like maybe a few of those peel off right away from threats from UEFA or threats from their governing bodies, and then it does look automatically weaker. So maybe these are the teams that they could get to fully lock in, and that's Uh why they've then unplugged their phones. But I'm with you that, like, if, if you get more clubs and more historic clubs, if you had 
I don't know, if you had Ajax in there, if you had Shakhtar in there, like it, maybe it diminishes the idea of it being this super, super league, but it simultaneously plays upon the idea of these clubs that should have more money, they should be bigger, but Ajax can't compete. This gives them a footing to compete. Shakhtar have to like, like really, really recruit aggressively to find players that they're then going to sell on, but sometimes they go far. But this allows them to, like if you wanted to bill it as this opportunity to bring very successful but like second tier clubs up to that top tier to make it more competitive to bring more teams into the global market and then you have more players who want to participate in that spotlight that all makes sense to me from a commercial standpoint i still am opposed to it but that does make more sense because you pull in more people you get more influence it becomes harder to reject and once and once you get to that platform i think this, everything is up for grabs. You 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 can you can change everything. I mean, if one of the 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 key features of this proposal, which I'm not sure if we've mentioned, reported by Sam Wallace of the Telegraph, is the clubs alone are reported to be the shareholders of the league itself, and that raises all sorts of possible incomes. For instance, outcomes. Sorry, if mm-hmm. if the ESL, the, the Super League. And then comes as well, yeah. If the Super League is successful in challenging <laughs> employment law, which it seems like they're going to have to do to get off the ground to prevent players from being banned from the Champions League and national teams and the Premier League, then why would you persist with the transfer market in its current form? Every top player would want to, to play in the, in the Super League. So if you have member clubs trading between themselves without massive fees... That seems like a win-win for them, and yeah, sure. Why would clubs be happy with uh, with that if they can lose their best players without bringing in a fee? Well, they own the league, so if everyone's talking about the league, and everyone's talking about the trade and trade and raising the value of the league and raising the stock price of the league, then everyone's benefiting from that. So, and and also players are le- are free to leave, so there's no cabal that you know it would stand up. I think in in, in the employment law that they've just challenged. But why would players want to leave the Sur- European Super League? It'd be like LeBron James, you know, he he can go and play in Lithuania, but why would he want to leave the NBA? You end up in a similar sort of situation. Mm-hmm. I just think I, I, that's not me saying that will happen because that is true fundamental change. I'm just saying if this succeeds and we get to a certain point, then nothing is off the table. I think whatever I think, what, what, oh, whatever ahead, happens, sorry Taylor, is is th- this is going to be very 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 messy over the coming months and even years because if this doesn't happen, there's going to be a fire truck of lawyers from the Super League and and their respective clubs, uh, you know, and there'll there'll be there'll be lawyers and litigious battles from broadcasters who their Premier League games aren't going to be worth as much anymore. The Champions League broadcasters are going to start suing everybody. It's going to get so financially messy in the coming uh, coming you know months and even long term. You could argue that they're going to there could be some breakaway clubs starting, some more fan-owned clubs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm a supporter of a fan-owned club, AFC Wimbledon. We might get some more of those. And one of our one of our tenets uh, that we have, gents... And I can't bit... believe it took you 35 minutes. To <laughs> I, got that. I, got I thought that. that was like first two minutes. I, I was pretty sure. But one of, the, one of the sort of things that we say at the club, you know, is with regards to MK Dons, the, the club that was a, a, an offshoot of, of us, is never forgive, never forget. Mm-hmm. Never forgive what they did. Never forget what they did. And Jeff Stelling of Sky Sports said this. He said, even if this falls flat on its face, do not forgive those teams. Do not forgive those big six. Never forget what they have tried to do. So not only have we got a financial headache our way, but we've also got you know, a real mistrust that's going to come from fans and stakeholders in this sport as well. This is a huge mess. And that's why, Ryan, I stick with the Lucille Bluth line of forget but don't forgive. That's the important <laughs> one to go with. Uh, the, and to, to your point about the, the, yeah, like the massive amounts of lawyers we're about to see, I, I think 
to draw a comparison to Brexit is potentially controversial, but I do, not being a big fan of it, uh, do think that there were sort of some exaggerations, some details that were omitted, and a lot of things that do feel to have been left to like, ah, we'll figure it out on the night. And that is kind of how this feels a little bit with the Super League, because there's already the one from the Premier League, like I forget who the, uh, the spokesperson was saying, that... Like, you have to get permission from the Premier League. They have not done that, so they are technically in violation. And I think there are so many little details. Because this announcement feels rushed, I don't think those things were necessarily factored in. And it does seem like a lot of it was, we'll figure it out as we go. Those don't feel like issues that can be figured out. Those feel like issues that are going to court and are going to be legally challenged. So I'm with you. It's going to get really messy and really confusing. And I don't know how it's going to play out. Maybe at the end of it all, it is just a quote-unquote bluff and we got what we wanted. Uh, Maybe we do end up with the Super League. But I think it's going to be confusing and evolving and litigious. Yeah, they've they've gone beyond bluff. The cards are on the table now. I think is the uh, is the situation here. Graham, you mentioned uh, before we went on air that you had a. Uh, I think it was four hundred and six pages of notes on this. Is there anything else you wanted to bring up before we uh, before we park this anxiety inducing topic? No, that that I got. I think everything. I, it was almost a spiritual experience given uh, the last twenty four hours of just reading hot <laughs> takes on Twitter. I needed to get something out. I needed to express something. So I think I've done that. <laughs> oh, I, I have one question for you both. Then, like, it, let's say in a, in a alternate reality that this does happen, the Super League exists, uh, and we do have the six Premier League clubs. Like, because I think that there's an idea now. They initially proposed it as it'll be concurrent to their domestic leagues. So. Mm-hmm. Man United, Liverpool, Man City, Chelsea, Arsenal, and Tottenham all continue to compete in the Premier League, but then also are in the Super League. Let's say there's a world in which they get kicked out of their leagues, but the Super League is so lucrative that they all move over, Madrid and Barcelona move over. Is there a world in which the Premier League gets better because of that and, and La Liga? And I, don't, I really don't mean that in a contrarian hipster way, just that if you remove these huge clubs who want control, who want money, I'm sure others will take their place. But it does maybe open things up more and makes it a more competitive league and you get some of those kind of behemoths into their own thing. Could it be that those leagues then become that much more exciting where the Super League just becomes this sort of like, stand, like sanitized, standardized corporate entity? The way the way, and I'm I'm kind of used to this discussion point because in Scottish football we have this, this we've had this discussion every mm-hmm. year for about twenty years with obviously yeah. the prospect of the two uh, old firm teams going to to England or somewhere else. Um, the the best comparison I can think of, and maybe you guys from the American side of things um, would be better to provide an insight on this, but I I would I would envisage that it would almost be like watching the NFL and then college football. So maybe you would have, it would almost be like two different disciplines. So people would, you would, you would have people who support two teams. You know, you'd have someone who at the moment you can't really support just picking two random clubs, you know, West Ham and Manchester United, because obviously they're in the same league competing for the same things. But in this scenario, you could feasibly could see people supporting a a, a team in, in, in both leagues. That's the comparison I would, I would draw. And that's the route that I would, and from a competition standpoint, yeah, the Premier League could get more exciting, but I don't envisage it would ever get to a point where it could actually compete with the Super League for, for eyeballs and money. The Super League would just have too much of a head start. Mm Mm-hmm. I think as a lower league fan, I think there's part of me thinks, yeah, let them go. We'll be good without them. But then also I'm like, I don't want Chelsea to lead the Premier League. I want to see them <laughs> play Burnley twice a year. Come on. It's, Come, it's, but that's that, that's AFC Wimbledon just six places further up the table, man. <laughs> <laughs> or further up the pyramid. 
A few more break away. You're in the Premier League, Ryan. I mean, that could almost save us from relegation this season. That would be perfect. perfect. Quite, quite a benefit for us. Anyway, gents, that is the European Super League. As I say, an evolving story. Maybe we'll have a totally different take tomorrow. We still have to talk about Jose Mourinho. We have, <laughs> we have oh the, trivial, uh, the trivial pursuit of actual sports and things that have happened in sports to talk about just after these messages. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively, but for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Total Soccer Show, we are back. Soccer, let's talk about that. Josie Mourinho has been, uh, and a quote from Tottenham, uh, one of their missives they've sent over the past few hours, that he has been relieved of his duties with the rest of his team just a week before the League Cup final. After 17 months in charge, the decision reportedly made Friday, na- Friday night after the uh, Everton match. There were rumours circulating that he opposed the Super League. That seems pretty unfounded. Um, Ryan Mason apparently uh, is going to be taking charge just the two years younger than Gareth Bale at 29 years old. Um, Taylor, Josie's greatest legacy at Tottenham, maybe overseeing Dele Ali learning how to microwave baked beans. Is there anything else we can draw from it? I mean, it really is that documentary. <laughs> I feel like that's... <laughs> and, and even that will just become such a strange thing because I will admit maybe I bought too much into that one. 
But I, I felt coming out of that like, okay, he has finally found his place. He's evolving his approach a little bit. He's got the team buying in. He's instilling this different spirit. It seems like he's got a different vibe than Pochettino. Daniel Levy can't stop batting his eyes at Jose Mourinho. This is all going to be really well. I was sure they were going to be top four comfortably this season. And I will ha- hold my hands up and say, maybe I bought or I bought into that propaganda, I guess, too hard. But it just yeah. it felt like it was right place, right time, right combination. And now here we are. So I'm not surprised he's gone. I do love the narrative that he's he, he fell on his sword and said, no, I will not participate in the Super League. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. sure that's sure. definitely what happened uh, here. <laughs> Jose Mourinho it, like, exists for the Super League to exist. Like, that, that feels like a competition he is meant, destined to be a part of. Uh, and maybe he'll have an opportunity with one on. of those other clubs. But we're, we're missing the conspiracy here, Taylor. Maybe the reason he hasn't bothered organized the Tottenham defense since about October <laughs> is that he was opposing this coming Super League. There that we go. It. <laughs> That's it. That's it. <laughs> He's been on the inside, working against everybody, but very quietly and sort of going along with it. It's fine. Don't worry about it. My big question, Graham, is who on earth hires Jose Mourinho now? His stock yeah. seems pretty darn low. Uh, it doesn't seem like his methods are, are congruous with the rest of soccer at the moment. Where does he go from here, apart from sitting on the, I think it's something like 95 million he's made from uh, from being fired? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God. I saw that figure as well. Quite quite astonishing. Um, yeah, it seems unlikely he's going to get another Super League job, isn't it? I mean, he was already in a, a cushy position, but... Um, yeah, I, I, to be honest, Taylor, I had, um, I had the opposite experience with that Amazon really? documentary where I felt I had the feeling that he was on the right track before I watched the documentary, and then I saw him say, I saw him saying things in the dressing room like he was scared of Serge Aurier in the penalty box, and I thought, nah, that's Jose is still the same Jose that flamed out at Chelsea and Manchester United, and 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 so it's kind of proved. I mean, it's the first time. He's left the club without winning a trophy, right? That's got to be that's got to be correct. He won trophies yeah. at every other club before. Mm-hmm. Seventeen months is his shortest tenure at any club. It does feel um, a little bit cruel that has been sacked on the Monday before a cup final. Yeah, which was he was hired almost explicitly by by Spurs to 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 bring a trophy to the club. And so had he been sacked a week today, having beat Manchester City in the final, you could say he he could make the argument, you know job done mission accomplished in the way that he does he still argues he was a success at Manchester United on similar uh, grounds but to sack him today (laughs) it makes me wonder there was the uh when Man United sacked David Moyes way back when that he had that clause that if he failed to secure top four they could sack him at a much reduced rate and they waited until they were definitely out of the top four, like yeah. mathematically eliminated, and that's when they sacked him. And I would not be surprised if you looked in Jose's contract if there was some extra bonus or extra stipulation for if he does win a cup, what that means for him, and they sacked him before he could do it oh, so that that clause or provision isn't triggered. I would not be surprised. That is 100% what it is, isn't it, now you say it? That's so <laughs> That cynical. is a theory, yeah, that's... What, that. <laughs> What I think has happened, gents, you remember in the Amazon documentary, there was that very contrived scene where he was watching coverage of himself being hired on the TV and he yeah. stands up and switches it off and swears. Oh, yeah. I think what happened was oh, yeah. like this morning, he got up and finally switched that TV back on again. And that's where he <laughs> finds out he's been fired. That's where he finds out there's a Super League. And he's like, what? why did I keep this TV off for so long? What's going on? I think because given the way that none of these teams seem to have communicated to anyone about this Super League announcement, maybe this is how Jose found out just by, you know, first time putting that TV back on. That's how I fantasize about the situation happening. 
<laughs> I mean, I, I like that. I like that. And that was also – was that the scene that you felt was was sort of maybe created or a little bit didn't happen as organically yeah. as they so wanted well, us maybe, to believe? Maybe just a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah they, they, I remember it was, it was Sky Sports News, but they dubbed over someone else's voice right, who, didn't, did. who doesn't work for Sky Sports News. <laughs> yeah. But, Graham, I, I think I'm owning that because I think Ryan and I reviewed all those episodes. And I think I was like, oh, it's so great. He's so great. He's so wonderful. This is happening. This is happening. I think that Ryan – Kind of calmly was like, I, I think that was kind of maybe a manufactured scene and maybe wasn't real. And I think that like, Ryan, Ryan saw the uh, – he had the wool pull from his eyes. I did not. I was happily like existing in my blissful naivete. And now here we are with Jesse Mourinho not having a job. It feels like international football is where he will go and then he'll have yeah. some success. And then there will be this whole like, did we, did we rule him out too early? Is he d- deserving of another chance? And the answer is no because international football is where he should be. If you thought Portugal pooped how's their way to a European Championship yep. before, you just wait. You just yeah. wait. <laughs> wait. Wait until you see how Qatar play at the 22 World Cup. <laughs> oh, oh, that is... That's it. That's it. Oh, that is charge. such a good shout. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, other managerial oh, news gents this same weekend. Hansi Flick told German TV he intends to terminate his Bayern Munich contract at the end of the season. This one seems to have been bubbling under for a little while, Taylor. Um, maybe he's got another job lined up, we think. Yeah, maybe. My head is still in my hands from Jose Mourinho going to Qatar. Because <laughs> that's definitely going to happen. Uh, yeah, I'm, I am just happy that, that the, the dominoes are falling for my uh, uh, ultimate plan of Jesse Marsh coaching RB Leipzig. We're, we're, we're steps closer, gentlemen. This can be a reality because, yeah, Hansi Flick takes over Germany. Didn't really expect that to ever actually happen, not because I don't think he's qualified, but just because it seemed like Bayern, he was figuring out a way to keep that team winning and keep them performing, even with like a, a 12-year-old and a 14-year-old starting and coming in as substitutes. And yet, here we are with him on his way out, potentially taking over Germany. Uh, if Bayern get the compensation they want, then uh, things are opening up. Nagelsmann to Bayern Munich, Jesse Marsh to Salzburg, America wins the World Cup, and it's all wonderful. But Christian Pulisic won't be eligible for the World Cup now, right? Oh, shh. I forgot about that. Uh-oh. 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 Oh, it's all happening. It's all happening. Oh, and Weston McKinney. Oh, no. <laughs> We're in some trouble. Oh, Brendan Aronson, maybe. Could lead the line. Who, who knows? Serginio Dest is out, too. Oh, no. This was our chance. <laughs> I'm sorry, I shouldn't be laughing. Uh, an evolving situation, as I say. Uh, before we move on to actual soccer as well, let's congratulate Norwich, who got promoted this weekend back to the Premier League, uh, despite losing to Bournemouth, actually. Um, and uh, commiserations to Sheffield United, who were relegated. They've done a little switcheroo with knowledge. Uh, knowledge? Norwich. Norwich. So it seems. Mm-hmm. Um, gents, we, we should probably dedicate some time in this podcast to actual things that happened on the field. Why don't we have a little look at the FA Cup semi-finals? We had uh, on Saturday Chelsea uh, getting a 1-0 win over Manchester City. They'll face Leicester in the FA Cup final, which all seems very quaint now. Now we're talking about the FA Cup and its, uh, its comparative size to things that are going on. But uh, what's happened here is Manchester City's treble dream is over. We had Kevin De Bruyne picking up a slightly concerning injury too, turning his uh, right ankle at uh, the start of the second half. This was Thomas Tuchel recording his first victory over Guardiola in no less than six attempts. Graham, Chelsea were worthy winners, I would say, though. Yeah, I think so. And I think uh, Tuchel got his, his his game plan spot on. Obviously, a big factor was Guardiola uh, rotating his team. But but equally, I would say, you know, play, the players that came in who were Sterling, Cancelo, Gabriel Jesus, Ferran Torres, Benjamin Mendy. I mean, they're all high-quality players who should be capable of, of d- 
doing a job and and mm. it never really felt like to me that that city were uh, battering on the door now even even though they had a lot of possession and a couple chances it never felt like they were that Chelsea were going to succumb to them and I think actually key to that was uh, Timo Werner who was it, it was difficult for, I made a similar point about uh, Bayern Munich with PSG in the Champions League last week where it was difficult for City to suffocate Chelsea knowing that Timo Werner was waiting to run in behind with, with his pace and of course the goal came from a a scenario that Chelsea had already road tested in the first half and resulted in a, a disallowed goal, almost exactly the same move, a carbon copy. And um, so that was clearly something that Tuchel wanted his, his side to do. And uh, yeah, the, the game plan worked. Did indeed. Now, Taylor, with Manchester City here, um, I, you know, Pep is famous for overthinking things at the Champions mm-hmm. League stage. It seems he didn't overthink things against Bayern Munich necessarily, but maybe saved that mentality for this <laughs> game. Sort of switching formations a little bit, certainly at the start yeah. with the, the two with the pivot, the double pivot, uh, Fernandinho and Rodri, uh, which was evidently there to limit the counter attack that Chelsea might have put on. But it did seem to stifle them a little bit uh, in terms of creativity. Yeah. Both players staying on the field in this game as well. Not no no attempt to change that necessarily, at least by ch- uh, changing personnel. Yeah, I, I think he had a couple different ideas here, and I think some of them worked. I think Chelsea just did a really, really good job, to Graham's point, of of nullifying them and then playing their game. Because I think his plan was to have that pivot to kind of clog the midfield and not let any counterattacks or as many counterattacks come right through the center. Then it was with Cancelo and Mendy pushing up very, very high in possession. I think the point was to pin back Chilwell and Reese James. That would then give the back three of Chelsea man-marking assignments against the front three of Man City. And anytime you're in a sort of one v one that is going to create theoretically possibilities for Manchester City and the, and the kind of attackers they have. I think the problem then was that that required Kevin De Bruyne to drop very deep to get the ball. And even if you did have your potent attackers in 1v1s or maybe in, in advantageous positions, De Bruyne still has to get them the ball from 40 yards away. And sometimes he can do that. But I think Chelsea didn't bite on that, didn't track him as much and kept their lines where they needed to be so that he couldn't play any of those balls with simplicity. And then I think Chelsea just kept the ball when they needed to, moved it like uh, pretty effectively and efficiently and didn't put themselves in too many dangerous positions. They didn't shoot themselves in the foot. They didn't turn it over cheaply. And I think they really did execute Thomas Tuchel's game plan uh, I, I don't know who spent more time, but I'm going to assume that each of them spent like 24 hours preparing for this game. So credit to both managers, but Thomas Tuchel gets the win. So more credit to him. Well, yeah, Pep complaining about only having a couple days rest and a three-hour train mm-hmm. journey to this game as well. So maybe he took that time to, to prep. Uh, you mentioned um, you know, uh, putting your foot in it, Taylor, but um, someone who certainly did was Zach Steffen for the goal. Yeah. Uh, Graham, what did you make of that one? It seemed like Stefan was, his positioning was questionable. He was kind of on the edge of the box while I think it was Chilwell was pressing down down the left flank and he took a few steps back but didn't think to kind of centralise himself as the, as the ball came in. And it was almost a carbon copy of a goal that was, uh, was um, Werner was uh, awarded offside for yeah. earlier on. But Stefan, uh, one or two um, cup keepers here, not covering himself in glory, Graham. Yeah, and, and, and Kepa, obviously, and, and as you referenced there, and the other goal for, for Chelsea, gave this game a little bit of a peculiar look in terms <laughs> of the goalkeepers for both sides. But um, yeah, Stefan didn't cover himself in glory, a bit disorientated. And uh, yeah, I, 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 I think Chelsea, to, to my mind, Chelsea still score that goal anyway. Um, so I can only yep. attribute attribute too much, uh, so much blame to, to Zach Stefan. I don't think it's something that will, you know, end his set, set career or anything close to that. But uh, a learning, something for him to learn from, I think is fair to say. 
Yeah, Graham, I think, I, uh, Ryan, sorry, to your point about Stefan, I think he, I'm going to guess he gets a briefing of like be off his line early and often because mm-hmm. Chelsea, if they do go direct, he has to be there to get that one. And it's just a really good ball in from Mason Mount. It kind of bends in around, I think, Ruben Dias, and then it's into the path of Ziek. I think it gets on the end of it. Yeah. But that sort of like like his ability to sort of like track that one down but Mason Mount puts the backspin on it so it holds up. I think Stefan thinks he's going to get there and then doesn't really correct his positioning. I I think it's still a shooting opportunity, but I think that square ball that does end up getting played isn't played with um with Zach Stefan still in his goal. So I think it was not really the best uh, decision making on his part and it did make me sad but uh, you know it's it's the FA Cup uh, it kind of matters I guess doesn't it it needs to be the Carabao Cup for me to just be completely dismissive who, of it Taylor who knows what matters anymore everything's up in yeah, right? we, we have no I know. idea I know. But, uh, <laughs> uh, what does matter is that Chelsea is certainly uh, looking pretty solid under Thomas Tuchel a lot of, getting a lot of credit deservedly so for the way he's organised the defence with the 14th clean sheet in 19 matches here but I would contend that he has improved all areas of the field. You know, midfield looking much stronger. He's got uh, N'Golo Kante purring mm-hmm. at the moment and working yep. very well with Jorginho in the middle. And the front three, no matter what he seems to rotate there, seems to work out pretty well, Graham. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and Kante was was one of the standout performers for me, going back to your talk about the midfield. That that midfield unit is, is working really well. It felt like Kante was Chelsea's uh, everywhere man in every position. And whenever City had the ball, he was one of the at, at least four Chelsea players that was behind the ball. And just feels like Tuchel recognises what Kante's good at. And he's not playing him as an attacking midfielder, which Lampard tried to do a little bit. And I think even Conte tried to do that a little bit, try and play him a, bl- a little bit further up the field. Um, so that was one of the big takeaways for me. And, and the front three, it just feels like uh, Tuchel has a much better idea of, of how that front three would work uh, with with pace. I think he obviously recognises is, 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 is key to that. And Werner, Werner's not, I wrote a piece on this on Saturday, Werner's not the striker that I think most Chelsea fans and maybe even Chelsea themselves expected him to be. But he's, he, can, he still can be, and I'd argue still already is, an important figure in this team. He's not. He might not be the 20, 30 goal a season striker that they paid 50 million euros for, but he can facilitate another player like that. I think if they get someone like Aguero or, I mean, Haaland could probably do it all on his own without anyone hmm. facilitating him. But I think Werner um, becomes really valuable if Chelsea find that sort of striker this summer. Yeah, I, I think I think Graham is, is dead on w- with that point because he reminds me, like, not in the same way, but if he makes those runs and is providing and creating space for other teammates, it's a little bit like Roberto Firmino at Liverpool, where his primary responsibility maybe isn't goal scoring. I think that's a generous read on what is being asked of Timo Werner, because fundamentally he's the center forward, he's the starting striker. I think they want him to score the goals. But I misspoke earlier, it's him who's played him at Mason Mount, and his pace is what causes yeah. so many problems. And then he has a, the good vision to find Hakim Zayek. So I think if he's doing that sort of maneuver, where he's making the run, he's pulling people out, and then he's playing the ball in to create a goal, a goal is a goal. I'm sure Thomas Tuchel will be okay with it. To some extent, I think he benefits from being the replacement and not the person who brought Timo Werner in in the first place. So he can he doesn't have the pressure of, you brought this guy in, make it work. He's sort of thrown into a, this guy was here and not performing. Find a way to make him perform somewhat, and you look like even more of a genius. You'll note that Taylor just said that I 100% agree with what Graham said about Timo Werner, and I just went, eh. 
because I'm still not 100% sold on him and his role in Chelsea. But that's another story altogether. Gents, yeah. um, that's the, uh, the one of the FA Cup semi-finals. The other one, not much to write home about uh, Leicester against Southampton, but it is Leicester taking on Chelsea in the FA Cup final. If indeed soccer still exists when that thing <laughs> rolls around. We're going to take a very quick break now. When we come back, we're going to talk about, uh, among other things, the start of MLS uh, and also... Leo Messi's final ever Copa del Rey final before he's um, banished into his cage of money. <laughs> Total Soccer Show, we are back. I don't know why I'm speaking like this, but we're talking about the Copa del Rey <laughs> final. Athletic Club, who took on Barcelona uh, this weekend. Barca getting just the 4-0 win in Seville at the neutral venue of choice for maybe all Super League games are going to take place in Seville as well. That's, a, that's a, worth thinking about. It does seem to be where all games take place these days. Uh, you may remember a few months ago, these two teams met in the Super Cup. This was when Athletic Club won 1-0. Leo Messi got a red card. And Athletic's uh, Via Libre played his trumpet afterwards, which we had much jest about. No trumpet in sight for, um, for Athletic here. The only team ever to lose two Copa del Rey finals in the same year. You'll note they did so a few months ago as well with the delayed 2020 final. Uh, and since their last Copa del Rey trophy in 84, they've lost in 85, 2009, 2012, 2015, 2020 and 2021. Those being a matter of months apart. And that last one being against, of course, their regional rivals, Real Sociedad. So a bit of a rough one for Athletic in this yeah. competition. Um, Graham, on Bilbao, who at halftime had 18% of the ball, there is this argument that um, they are so strong at home and San Mamés and the Basque region is such a difficult place to go to that they kind of suffer when they're in a neutral venue for a cup final and when they're away from home in this kind of circumstance. Yeah, and, and in sunshine or humid weather or something that isn't, you know, pouring down with rain, as tends to be the case in, in the Basque country. I mean, yeah, this absolutely was a rough one for Athletic. Maybe they might find it more... <laughs> Actually, I don't know if I want to make another Super League joke. There's so many. There's been so many in this podcast. I was going to say maybe they'll find it easier to win some competitions when all the good teams have been banished. Oh. Uh, but yeah, it, it, Barcelona <laughs> in the second half just, just utterly blew them away. I thought the... The game plan from Marcelino didn't work. It, it certainly didn't work as well as it did back in January when Athletic Club actually beat Barcelona in the final of the Spanish Supercopa. Um, the game plan was was quite a simplistic one. Athletic Club are very much a team and an organisation that are based around being defensively solid. They talk about playing the English way, actually, which mm. uh, I think is a bit of a backhanded compliment <laughs> on English uh, football, which is their idea of the English way is... Um, quite uh, dirty, I suppose, in some <laughs> yeah. of their challenges, which was certainly the case in the first half of this match. I mean, Barcelona were getting kicked all over the all over the pitch, but yeah, their their idea is uh, a little bit dirty, defensively sound, and not afraid to play a direct ball up the pitch. And that was essentially the game plan with Raúl García being the target man. And I think the idea was Anaki Williams would run off Raúl Gar uh, García, and they just didn't get an opportunity to do that at all. Um, Williams had a great game against Barcelona in the Supercopa back in January. This was where that famous picture of PK dragging along the behind the back of Inaki <laughs> Williams came yeah. from. And PK started this match after a, a long layoff through injury, but he didn't suffer in the same way in this game. He he was very good, and Inaki Williams in particular was very quiet. So, all in all, very disappointing for Athletic Club. One, I think also, they needed to. So I was going to say, I think they needed to do the like a little bit better analysis on the moods of Messi because 
the, the, my takeaway from this game is that there's a big, big difference between a pissed off Lionel Messi and a Messi, Messi playing pissed off. Because like I think like they kicked him one too many times. There were one too many fouls. And instead of him sort of getting into his feelings and looking a little bit disinterested at times... He looked real mad, and he looked like he really, really wanted to score, and he did that uh, like a lot and created a lot of opportunities. And it was just really fun to see Lionel Messi playing angry and with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder and definitely coming away the victor. Uh, so I, I enjoyed Lionel Messi. I enjoyed uh, Ronald Koeman's changes in this one. I thought he made some good managerial decisions. And overall, an American holding silverware at the end. Since Ryan talked about MK Dons, I get to talk about Serginho Dest holding silverware. And that's really, I think, what we're all here that's for. That's not a straight comparison, but okay. Uh, I'll, I'll give you that one. <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, Messi looking good because he doesn't have his beard, I think, is the thing. And you can see the anger much better, maybe, on his face uh, with, with, his, with his new uh, shaven look. Um, I, I want to get – I need to get an understanding of where Barcelona mm-hmm. are at now because, you know, I was told they were finished. They're in debt. They've been playing badly under Koeman. But now they've got a trophy. They're in league contention. We've got a, a decent performance in a relatively decent performance in the Champions League not so long ago. Uh, we've got Messi combining with De Jong and and with um, with Jordi Alba, just like in them old days. Uh, Barcelona good now? I'm confused. Where am I? What am I supposed to think, Grant? Tell me what I'm supposed to think. Yeah, I think I think this season, particularly, uh, well, I would say only on the on the field, off the field, they're they're in a little bit of trouble and still got some uh, work to do, but. Ronald Koeman's done a, a good job, and I, and I think I said this. I've said this previously on the pod, um, and I'm sorry if I unset, upset some Barcelona fans with this, but as an opinion that I hold, I think the Barcelona support can be quite hysterical at times. And earlier this season, I was just saying to people, just hold on a minute here. There's a lot of injuries. There's a lot of things happening, and I, I could see what Koeman was trying to do. He was, he's had great success in bringing through a lot of young players. Uh, Pedri has been one of Barcelona's players of the season. Oscar Mengueda, uh, Ronald uh, Araujo are both first-team figures at the back that have allowed Barcelona to shift to this 3-5-2 uh, shape. And even players like Dest, who I know was a signing, but he's a young player. Trinquao has done better in recent weeks. Ricky Pug is, is, is not in the first team, but has still done well with the opportunities he's had. And mm-hmm. I just think things are looking quite positive for, for Barcelona. Frankie de Jong has had one of his best games in a Barcelona shirt in the, in, in the Copa final and has generally had a really good season. So, yeah, Coman is proving a few doubters wrong. And and uh, you talk about what Messi maybe wants from this team. Uh, looking at it now, does he not have what he wants? I mean, there's a new president yeah. in play in place there's young players coming through so he doesn't have to do it all on his own every single week I haven't even mentioned Ansu Fati who of course has been injured for the whole season but is you know maybe the best teenage talent in all of European football Barcelona are challenging for honours again um, and they could finish this season with a league and cup double so I think that I would be surprised if he leaves Barcelona now because this was another sign of them heading in the right direction yeah, maybe one day a treble with that old Super League under his belt as well. We, we, we shall see. You, you, I think you're right to play under Young. I thought he was absolutely superb here. Uh, probably, the, I think, the best match I've seen him play. Just winning the ball back everywhere, doing loads of work to create chances. Uh, dribbling was second to none. And Griezmann, I thought, was quite wonderful here. Not least because he almost scored with his groin, which is always fun to see. But it just, <laughs> just seems to be uh, con- contributing very well. The one thing I'll say, gents, is I'm glad this game was on ESPN in the States uh, and uh, Ray Hudson wasn't commenting, be- commentating on it because oh, yeah. I think he may have passed out from delight about 20 minutes in given how good Messi was in he, this game. The, the slaloming run for the goal, he, he definitely needs oxygen oh. after that one for yeah. sure. Uh, yeah, and I think like 
like part of it to me with the frustration Barcelona fans have felt towards this team. Obviously, there have been results that weren't very good and performances that weren't up to the the level that are expected. I think also some of it is the shape change and that they're not playing the four three three that. Uh, was you know established under Cruyff and then Pep Guardiola cements and now they they do change it up and I think in the second half of this game they're playing in a four four two pretty much straight up <laughs> like and it's Messi and Griezmann up top but yeah. that also puts Griezmann into a front two which is where he looks better but it gives Messi license to drift all over and create uh, overloads wherever he wants and I think. Just you could see the connectivity there. For the fourth goal, it is from the time that Pedri sprays the ball wide. So he that his touch to hit the ball wide to Alba. It's a one-touch pass from Alba to uh, like lateral to Griezmann. It's a one-touch pass from Griezmann in behind for Alba. And then it's one touch from Alba to cut back for Messi, who finishes first time. So it's five touches that I think they cover 70 yards of the field. And it's a quick combination, quick running. Like It, it really is what you'd expect to see from Barcelona. I thought they were really ruthless and... To Graham's very initial point, when when you have Bilbao playing in this sort of two banks of four, very solid, very defensive, if you can get them caught out, you can't let them get back into shape. You have to punish them. And pretty much every Barcelona attack, when they do bypass that midfield line or they do get some people out of position, they turn and go and go direct. And again, that's not, we think of tiki-taka and the slow possession buildup. They're a little bit more ruthless these days. And I think mm-hmm. it's it's all pretty positive I think there are definitely still some some negatives to Barcelona right now things can be two things but overall I think they're in a much better position than I thought they would be a couple months ago they are indeed congratulations to Barcelona there is more to say on this game but we must move on because we must talk about the uh, the start of the MLS campaign as well and by the way we were intending to talk about Napoli against Inter I'm disappointed I won't get to analyze Napoli's bird shirt and Inter wearing the, uh, <laughs> the Inter wearing the towels I used to dry my dishes as well which is, is the best way to describe that away kit they were wearing there but uh, Nevertheless, we'll get to those two Italian sides uh, later on. We're going to talk MLS, uh, which, of course, it was the opening weekend. A long time coming, it was indeed. Uh, some pretty decent games we had here with Austin making their debut. A good showing for Josh Wolf's side on their first outing, albeit a loss to LAFC. The one we're going to focus on, though, gentlemen, is uh, Sunday's game into Miami against LA Galaxy. The Beckham Derby, if you will, with Galaxy coming out. Um, three, two winners in this one in the sunshine in Miami in 90 degree heat with lots and lots and lots of fans in the stands it seemed uh, down there in Fort Lauderdale uh, including David and Victoria Beckham and uh, their daughter Harper who were cut to many times. Uh, Taylor where would you like to start with this one? It was end to end stuff we had double Higuain I was seeing four Higuains there. I'm seeing mm-hmm. double Simpsons <laughs> reference um, <laughs> what did you make of it? Well, I, I, I want to kind of flip that one back on you after I give my take because I watched this game after doing all of my research on the Super League because that was such breaking news and I wanted to make sure that I uh, I, I, re- I read enough to feel prepared. Then uh, while making quiche, I then watched this game and Ooh. I ended up, I think, burning the quiche a little bit because I was so pulled in by it. I thought it was really fun. And I can't tell if that's just because the Super League made me sort of hate European soccer briefly or because this game was just really, really fun. But this might have been my favorite game of the weekend, not just because of the goals. I thought they were really interesting narratives there with Chicharito scoring and scoring again and looking very happy and very motivated. I even really liked what I saw from Gonzalo Higuain. I came away from this game thinking, like, Higuain's going to be a really good manager, and I want him and his brother to get their coaching badges together and become the world's first co-coaches. I think it could be really fun. Do you like Higuain just because he looks a bit like you now, Taylor? <laughs> See, I don't, I don't know what he's doing. Uh, you, you, don't, you don't shave your head if you move to Miami. That makes sense. It's real hot and humid. 
the, the super thick beard. If I lived in Miami, I would not have a beard. <laughs> to be perfectly honest, if I had the physical fitness of a, of a younger, fitter man, I would probably not have the beard either because, again, uh, chins. Uh, but maybe that's the problem is, is we don't know how many chins uh, Iguain has and Gonzalo doesn't want to let us know. So the beard just gets longer. But, uh, yeah, I saw comparisons to him and Matt Doyle and Tim Howard. And, and I'll take it. That's yeah, fine. That's, I'll take that group. There's nothing wrong with it. it I mean, he's, he's a good-looking guy. And what I'll say about those Inter-Miami shirts as well, the... the, the Disappointingly, not pink enough. I would say for starters, <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. but also the lack of sponsor. It just those shirts in the in the humidity. They go very see through, and you just see the sort of the vest underneath where they wear their GPS monitors. So they've become the de facto sponsor, it seems, of Inter Miami <laughs> yeah. for the moment. The company who provide those. Uh, Do you all see those as vests? Because I still have a hard time not seeing them as training bras. Yeah, they are bras. They wear to training. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what I'm saying. It's just whenever you see them in like those documentaries, and then in the, in the uh, Tottenham one of the Leeds one, it just I'm always like, why? Oh, right, right. The the monitoring thing, and they always have yeah. that weird like like two. It looks like the the bad cop show from the 70s where the person's wearing a <laughs> wire, and it's just like a cassette recorder poking out of their shirt. It always looks really uncomfortable and yeah. ungainly, but I guess they're used to it. I actually yeah. I actually own that Inter Miami shirt, and in Scotland, it's never humid and humid enough for my training bra to be shown. <laughs> Oh, but you are wearing one, and I appreciate your uh, honesty in that, Graham. Thank Graham, you. Graham, one day you're going to have to let us see your shirt collection, because in recent weeks you've told us you've got this one, which is a nice shirt, yeah. and that PSG one, the away, yep. the away shirt, which has really grown on me. Um, how, how many shirts do you have? Um, they don't fit in... Well, I bought a new house purely because I needed... For your shirts! Yeah, for the new shirts? More space <laughs> for the shirts. And they still don't. They don't They still don't fit in the new house. There's some in my parents' uh, attic still. But I, I reckon I've got like close to like 100 shirts and I kind of swap some out. Like some go to charity shops or I'll sell some to classic football shirts and buy some new ones. But yeah. Wow. S- since we haven't gone very long today, Graham, are there like two <laughs> or three that always <laughs> stick with you regardless of where you move? Because I have that too. I have a bunch in storage, a bunch in like a box underneath the stairs as well. But I have like two or three that I keep out. Yeah. Yeah. So I, ha- I have like a, a Sporting KC um do you remember the Not where the... I thought we were going to lead? All right. <laughs> yeah, but do you remember MLS last season or maybe the season before no. did uh, Pride kind of shirt? The yeah, league yeah. Wore those Pride. So I, 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 that one's pretty cool. So I, I, that one st- stays out. And the PSG one that I bought recently that we've spoken about, that one stays out. Um, but yeah, I, I've, I've got a lot of shirts. <laughs> and where do, where Graham, do you I like wear that you... Where, where, are you wearing these? Like, so to go to the, well, I don't um, suppose you go anywhere at the moment, but no. Well, on the odd occasion, I wear, I wear, wear I play fives. I wear, I wear one, but like I'm okay. wearing one right now, uh, and uh, like just because I'm in the house. So at the moment, I'm Graham, wearing I, a Marcus Rashford shirt. Uh, oh, I'm sorry I'm, to keep. Sorry, I keep interrupting. My bad. No, and you go. I was just going to say, I, I'm, I'm hoping that Marcus Rashford is going to be the voice of uh, football today. So I'm preempting it by uh, wearing yeah, his speak shirt. Speak up, and and Jurgen, you speak up too. Yeah. <laughs> I just I think Graham like if Graham were fully on fire and I asked him how he was on fire and he responded with like well fire combusts and burns things like yeah I understand that you have a sporting KC jersey Graham I'm wondering do you have a connection to Kansas City no not they sent me it. okay <laughs> oh there we go okay now we get to the bottom of it now I understand okay okay it's like he loves Kansas City barbecue that's the barbecue that's, that's yep. what it's all about yeah big fan yep. of Jimmy yep. Conrad I suppose that might be what it is um <laughs> Uh, Graham, do you have anything more to say about this game? I thought uh, I, I enjoyed Blaze Tweedy in this one. I thought he worked really hard yep. here. Robbie Robinson stood out as well. South Carolina's very own Clemson graduate uh, and uh, first pick in this, uh, last year's Super Draft as well. I thought he was uh, uh, unselfishly given the, the first goal by Higuain as well. And it, was, it was a decent performance there. 
Yep, and, and, and Taylor mentioned Higuain, who, who I don't think is fully up to, to speed yet, but the mm-hmm. fact he gets an assist from open play and, and converts a penalty, I think, is is a good sign. If they get they get him up to full fitness, I think he should uh, score quite a few. Um, Rodolfo Pizarro um, was, mm. seemed to cover a lot of ground. He was wearing one white boot and one black yep. boot, which was quite a statement. I think you have to be a good player to do that. Uh, I kept thinking he'd lost a shoe the whole time. I was, yeah. like, I was like, dude, you're wearing a sock? All right, cool. Go for it. Yeah. Why not? But it's just as well he played well because it's the sort of thing here that uh, in the UK, Graham Soonis would be often oh, one on Sky Sports after oh, the game. Yeah. Um, but yeah, another, another takeaway from this game was I know Phil Neville has had a lot of mocking and derision his way over the offseason. And the fact he was wearing the same suit as David David Beckham in the stands didn't help the idea that he's only got that job because <laughs> Beckham is his pal. But having said all that, I think this was an improvement from Inter-Miami on 2020. I think there was more fight and drive, more commitment, more energy than was the case, ever the case under yeah. Diego Lodzo. I liked what they what I saw from them. I think if, if Neville had one flaw, it was waiting too long to make changes. Mm-hmm, I felt yeah. after kind of the hour mark, it looked quite clear that Inter Miami were pretty gassed in that heat. But then maybe he feels he doesn't have the depth on the bench at the moment. So I could maybe see why he wanted to keep that 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 lineup. Uh, no depth on, on the, the bench. Field. He had Ryan Shawcross sitting there with a white and a black boot. He had the opposite. <laughs> they just switched boots. That was the problem. Um, oh, and he had Pellegrini. Oh, wait, no, he didn't because he's now... <laughs> He's now no, no longer. I think yeah. uh, what Neville was doing the Arsene Wenger, was it the uh, compulsory 72nd minute substitute? I think he did. Uh, maybe that was a, his, his timing logic there. But um, yeah, impressive stuff from Inter and, and indeed LA Galaxy as well. And a very, very entertaining game. A very entertaining podcast. Two gentlemen, we've covered a lot here. I, I apologize. We probably didn't cover enough of the games, but we'll definitely get back to that. As I say, if soccer still exists next week for the weekend. <laughs> yeah. Review. Taylor, thank you so much for your time today. I'm looking forward to you uh, praising the Super League and Manchester United's part in it very soon. I... I don't, I don't, I don't want to respond to that. Uh, what I will say is that I will be with uh, uh, Jeff Reuter tomorrow, uh, talking about the start of Major League Soccer. So we'll get more into Inter Miami LA and a lot of other games as well. So if you want to hear more about MLS, you can find that tomorrow. And for now, Ryan, I will never say I like the Super League, even if I do like the generic branding of their website. <laughs> well, you did make the website with Squarespace, I think, didn't you? So yeah, that, that was what. It's about my level based on what I've seen from it. Yeah, I mean, you can you can make a quiche and watch a game and make a website at the same time i'm sure uh, and, uh, i can make an approximation of a quiche yeah uh, graham uh, i'll let you go off and buy some more shirts to uh, fill up another house with thank you very much yeah this has been a wild ride of a podcast <laughs> <laughs> one for the history books bye